another episode of Talking Utilities. As always, I'm your host, Ben Lin. My guest for this podcast was Tim Troy. Tim is the head of product development at British Gaslight. We got into some really interesting stuff, including the creation of a separate brand within British Gas, that being British Gaslight, the processes that informed that, and also the present and future of smart metering. We also covered what it means to have an agile mentality. Agile is a word that gets thrown around a lot, so we went into that in a little bit more detail. And Tim also discussed the importance of failing fast um, and learning to sort of identify your mistakes and and pick the learnings out of them. I learned a lot from this podcast, and uh, I'm sure you guys will too. So with no further hesitation, please welcome Tim Troy. Okay, joined by Tim from British Gas today. Tim, thanks very much for joining us. How are you doing today? Not too bad, mate. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Not too bad for a Friday. Um, great hey. stuff. So, for anyone who's uh, not familiar with yourself, Tim, or, or British Gas Light, the concept, do you want to just um, give us a quick clue in on sort of who you are, what you do, and, and indeed what uh, what British Gas Light is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, British Gas Light is a digital, smart, online uh, product offering for small businesses. So, what that means in reality is that for small business owners, they can have their um, electricity managed online through a web chat only customer contact. Uh, they can receive a free smart meter installation uh, if they haven't already got a smart meter, and they pay for their electricity by. Uh, a variable direct debit. So what that means is that we um, accurately take a smart meter reading once a month, uh, price it up for them, and they pay uh, via a set up uh, direct debit. Uh, and what that helps is gives customers ease of their energy management, uh, which we know is a big demand for small business uh, owners uh, at the minute, um, especially in a very price competitive, uh, sensitive market. So by creating a simple business model like I just explained, uh, we're able to offer a competitively priced product which appeals to customers shopping around in the price comparison and voice broker space. Um, and my role in all of this is uh, I was part of the original team that helped set this up uh, about two years ago now. So we're uh, hitting our second anniversary of, of creating this uh, uh, project that then became a business and has now become a way of life for us all. Um, and at the minute, I currently work on all things in terms of product development, so how can we expand out from our simple, straightforward electricity offering, um, how we manage our smart meter integration with the SMETS2 rollout that's uh, coming our way, uh, and how we tap into new technologies and be able to sort of engage with uh, different companies and organizations that can help ensure that we maintain a smooth and efficient hassle-free service for our customers. That sounds excellent. I know that... um things like energy management and sort of peace of mind when it comes to making sure that you're not paying for any more than you've used uh, and indeed that you're sort of being a bit more mindful about how much you use is um is top of a lot of people's priorities in a in, a, in another life i worked for a um for an energy consultancy and um you know one of the things that that you're kind of aware of from day one is that you know, being involved with the energy management for for a business is often a, a role that falls on to somebody just by bad luck or delegation rather than sort of passion or um, or indeed willingness. So uh, I think that, you know, uh, a technology and, and kind of using stuff like that to to make people's lives easier is only going to be seen as a good thing, yeah? Have you had a, a pretty positive response from it so far? Yeah, I mean, so, so we went live to market in April last year, so we're about 16, 17 months old. 
Um, and the type of customers that we're sort of appealing to are kind of at that lower end of the SME market. So at the higher end, like you just sort of said, where you've got people whose responsibility is to look after the energy and um, sort of be accountable for getting the best possible deal. We're dealing with a lot of time poor customers. Mm-hmm. So people who are running one man band operations, our businesses vary from hair salons, nail bars, to small manufacturing companies, to uh, MOT garages, service stations, um, estate agents. So, you know, we're dealing with quite um, consumption patterns and usage that sometimes doesn't look too different to a to a family home in some cases, but they're busy and they're working, you know, they're often one-band operations and energy doesn't need to be a, shouldn't be a big headache for them. Uh, we did some research and said they, energy com- uh, people spend about five minutes a year thinking about their energy contract and that's probably about four and a half minutes too long for some people because we know that people don't want to engage, don't like dealing with the complexities of, it, of, of the market. Mm-hmm. And so we want to try and make that as simple as possible. And because what we in the market at the minute, because the trusty energy companies is quite low and quite challenging, brokers have fulfilled that space. So people are going on to compare the market, for example, or listening to a, um, a broker who's ringing them up on the phone while they've got spare two minutes to talk mm-hmm. about the offers that are available. And that's their preference for going to market. We call these customers hunters and receptors. Um, who are hunting A for a best price because there are customers out there who are savvy and do operate in a space where they want to get the best price. So hunters and receptors are the ones who think, who get often get that two-minute call with a broker and go, yeah, I'm receptive to understanding what best deal I can get. And then they shop in that way and they're always looking for the cheapest price or the second cheapest price um, in, in, on that quote screen. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree. I mean, I, again, something that something that I know from from experience is that um, you often want to be speaking to people who are perhaps you know coming to the end of a contract or are dissatisfied with the service that they've that they've got um, that they've received. So you know, perhaps they're a little bit more receptive or a little bit more, or, you know, they're feeling a little bit more sort of vulnerable. Um, I, I mean, you've mentioned just because you mentioned it there, I'm interested in uh, some of the sort of the research and, and the profiling that you guys have done. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, in the, in the conversations that we've had uh, sort of off away from the podcast, you've alluded to sort of there being quite a, a startup mentality to, to what you guys do. And I just wondered if you could drill down a little bit into some of the, the methods that you use when sort of looking to um, bring a product to market. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, we're sort of we were born out a by that, that customer demand, but also uh, in parallel to that was a kind of kind of large oil tanker business like BG Centrica um, operate in a uh, allow a small startup and in inverted commas to create. Uh, um, we're careful sometimes using startup because we know that startups some people that can be quite sparse and sat in a garage <laughs> uh, working and we're quite uh, and we are quite um, fortunate that we've got um, the backing of a, of a benevolent funder in the, in the case of BG yeah but but our mentality was if we'd invested 25,000 pounds of our money into this business how, how would that drive our decisions because that helped us focus on cutting out some of the complexities and the cost and a mindset change. Um, when we, we started this, to say, two years ago, sat in a project room in Oxford that was just a large kind of generic boardroom. Mm-hmm. And we just said, imagine we've got 25 grand of our own money. We invested in this. Let's think about it like that. And that kind of freed us from a, 
Fiji kind of way of thinking. We put a sign on the door saying, you're now leaving British Gas. So we did that consciously, a lot of kind of conscious artwork around the room to sort of make us feel a bit more um, separate and a bit more, more um, entrepreneurial. And I think that was the kind of spirit we wanted to sort of garnish as well. What would a new startup energy company do in this, in this, in this, in this place? Um, and because it was an ethos thing around can a large business deal with it, um, allow this, this thing to grow, we had to sort of provide a lot of reassurance to our stakeholders and to our funders, I guess, if you want to call them that, that we're, what we're doing is the right thing. And by operating in that, operating as a small startup, our decision-making was so different. We would um, put a load of um, post-it notes on the wall. Our start of the term was a blank sheet of paper. Yeah. We had a blank sheet of paper, loads of blank sheet of paper stuck on the wall, post-it notes, what does our customer journey look like at each point? And one of the biggest constraints we had, we bring so much of our big corporate, big six, or just big corporate mentality to thinking like that. A lot of the challenges for us were to try and distill a simple customer journey through the various key phases of looking for a customer, looking for a price, customer coming on board to a supplier, servicing a customer to first bill, first bill through to renewal and stuff like that. We bring a lot, we brought a lot of baggage. We brought a lot of war stories and scars from um, collectively a lot of energy experience. And I think that's some of the challenges that any organization faces when trying to do something different but bringing together a lot of baggage as part of it yeah no I, I think that's definitely right and i think that what you've touched on as well is sort of the the potent the sort of the challenge when it comes to trying to encapsulate sort of different people's people being at different stages in their sort of um you know customer life cycle into uh -huh sort of one product because you've mentioned there that there's people who you know would be coming to you know new businesses who would be coming to, to BG Light for the first time people who would be perhaps existing British gas customers who were, were, were moving to BG Light was that an option for people uh, so we consciously kind of refrain because that was and that was a, and sometimes still is a sort of a constant running um, conversation around sort of BG to BG Light mm. sort of um, it also creates a little bit of you know identity of what is BG Light a product of BG is BG Light, but we've kind of tried to create our own separate brand within the BG family um, because being with BG has helped us with brokers and, and third parties because okay. we get through the door with the BG name and also slightly going off a little bit. But our appeal is um, when you're on that price comparison list or in the conversation that voice brokers go when they go we've got this big bush gas light thing. And they go, oh, is that part of British Gas? Well, yeah, it is part of British Gas, but it's different. So we get a lot of brand recognition from the British Gas thing, which helps us overcome, you know, you've seen, you've seen with like Eressa and people like that going to, going to the war recently, that smaller, maybe less, maybe more unknown companies without the brand awareness have probably got a little bit of um, tarnish by, a, are they sustainable kind of model? So, and the types of companies we're pitching against, Jewel uh, and, uh, uh, small players in the, in the SME market haven't got that brand appearance so our attachment to BG is really helpful uh, and when it comes in answer to your other point about the BG to BG like transfer stuff it's more about are we getting the right customers so you know I talked about hunters and receptors so yeah. looking for price savvy customers who might move off British Gas Light after two years potentially if our price isn't right that's the nature of the beast we're in is that people are in a price sensitive market where 
people will go to the best price. Hopefully they stay because our service is the reason to stay. Yep. Um, but for the main, the main bunch of gas business, um, they've got different types of customers as well. There's mm -hmm. the people who are like loyalists and activists who like the brand of BG. They prefer telephone contact centers. They're happily paying a different payment method and they don't want to engage online or kind of like their online engagement is very different. And there's a product for them to do that. And that's a bit different business model that, that British Gas can offer. And there's kind of spaces, for this, there's, there's a role for two. Uh, and if we get customers that come off from British Gas onto British Gas Lite, it's because our product and what we offer suits them in the way they want to manage their energy, energy um, um, bills and accounts. So um, I think that's kind of been a constant discourse that's run through our sort of products um, and businesses. We've been sort of two years old now, but we get, we, it's all about getting the right customers and getting the right value. So it's not, it's, it's a volume value thing as well. Do we get the right value customers by being on British gas light or the right value customers by being on um, sort of full fat version of British gas? Yeah, I, I think it's, in, I think it's interesting to hear that um, sort of within this, I suppose, conscious split between, say, the two sides of the business, that there is also um, sort of a difference in what makes up sort of an ideal, like an ideal customer profile. Um, I think, would it be yeah. fair to say that sort of the, 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 the type of customer profile that's attracted, that, that BG Light would hope to attract, are they sort of your more, you know, tech savvy, um, you know, sort of online first sort of, uh, yeah, I hate to sort of throw the word millennial around, but sort of, you know, the type of thing that people think of when you hear that word. So, yeah, so we've done a bit of, um, back in the early days when our growth was kind of quite um, embryonic, shall we say, we could we could profile each customer and go on Google Maps to find them. That was one of our early hobbies, was to basically kind of research the living daylights out of our yeah. customers and go do Google street maps and put them on the wall. And I think there is a bit of, tech savviness in the sense that we've had a few customers struggle to log on their account online and is this the right product for them kind of conversations been had um, but because we're trying to make things easier and straightforward we don't want to you don't want to make the you want to make the online experience seamless and uh, appealing so you don't want to overly complicate it and we've done lots of things to make it fairly straightforward you know for example we send the their automatic online account as soon as they've um, as soon as we've approved their quote as soon as we've approved their quote and what have you so their online journey starts from the from day one so they immediately get a, a login to their account as soon as we've approved their um, um, contract that a third party sold to them so and it's our website if you have a look at it at britishgaslight.co.uk see I've got managed to get a plug in there at some point um, <laughs> it's, it's quite it's quite clean and sort of uh, straightforward and we've had lots of good feedback from customers that it, that it is that um, it's not overly cluttered um, so I think it's not necessarily millennial businesses because we've seen I think we've seen like lot like MOT garages and sort of small industrial units that make railings and gates and that kind of stuff and printing firms who have been around for 20, 30 years. Um, so um, it's not just the kind of new funky businesses that are joining up. So yes, there's plenty of coffee shops and nail bars and um, hairdressers and all that kind of good stuff. But it's it's a it's a, it's a mix across the um, the business space, and we're just starting to do some proper segmentation now, sort of. Now we've got some we've got some volume now that sort of makes those analysis kind of a bit more um, 
uh, real. Spot on. And, and so in terms of, um, I suppose, people being a little bit more, uh, you know, people not necessarily needing to be of, of that millennial bracket um, and sort of net ma maybe making sort of interfaces a little bit cleaner and things so as to eliminate confusion um, and maybe not needing to be the most, you know, tech savvy because as you've mentioned, sort of the, the installation of the meter and kind of the automatic meter yes. reading and everything. I mean, just to just just to take you as as an example, Tim. What what sort of your relationship with with technology are you quite au fait with it? Would you say? Well, in a personal kind of way, in yeah. my day to day kind of, uh, yeah. So I'm sort of um, I'm unsure whether or not I'm 36. I'm unsure whether or not that counts as being millennial. I don't think it. I'm not, it's, every time I, I Google it, when I have a moment of insecurity, I sort of <laughs> think, do, do I want to be a millennial or not? I'm not entirely sure, but. Um, uh, yeah, I sort of have. Yeah, I, I probably have um, um, medium use of technology. So I, yeah, I have a smartphone. I have Bank Online. I've got apps that do all that. Mm -hmm. I've got um, um, I stream my music and stuff like that through uh, multiple platforms. Um, I've got a smart meter in my own home, a Smets One meter by chance. Um, so. Um, and I'm on the lookout for getting a hybrid slash uh, EV car at the minute. Um, okay. So I'm kind of um, on the lookout for stuff like that. I'm more sort of um, uh, my, my frugalness and cost, cost consciousness is, drives a lot of my decisions, I would say, in a personal space. And I think technologies, where technology can enable that, then I'm certainly interested in it. I'm not a, I won't say I'm a sort of early adopter to a lot of things. I'm probably in that sort of. Uh, latent sort of second second stage um, of development, but hence the reason for sort of doing this kind of stuff. Then it's sort of like um, it's becoming quite important to sort of as part of what we want to do here is to make our data and by data we can use that through technologies to make that um, work as efficiently as it, as possible to eliminate all the errors of the energy market that ultimately gives a poor experience to customers because. There's 24 of us in BG Light at the minute, mm -hmm. and um, that's quite low. And we don't want to get to, you know, 10 times as many customers and have 10 times as many people. So um, we need to make sure that, and that's what I need to make sure that we don't sort of rest on our laurels and look and go back into introverted way of thinking and not look outside and see what stuff is out there available for us to help automate a lot of stuff in a business space. And by me spending some time. I'm in my personal space to sort of try and do that. I'm trying to sort of um, bridge those two worlds. What sort of um, inspiration do you take from sort of some of the other new entrants to the market, the likes of sort of Ovo and Octopus and, and Bulb and those kind of guys? I think it's they've got um, a very clear ownership on their development. So their models are very kind of um, there sort of in the bulb and the octopus space, they're tech companies doing energy. Yeah. We're different from energy companies doing technologically based energy, which is what we're doing now. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. I think the way in which they bring, the, you know, I've mentioned earlier, we're sort of sometimes held back by our baggage and experiences of being in energy. We know what works, we know what doesn't work. We know what a rubbish customer journey is and what a bad, what a difficult experience is, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they're um, uh, freed up from that, so they can look at problems and solutions in a very different kind of way, and are not necessarily bogged down by. Do you remember that time that project happened, and 
uh, we got told off by Ofgem or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's a, a certain freedom in which they can operate and reinvent stuff because they're bringing an experience from different sectors, different um, industries and stuff like that that lends itself to a, a cleaner way of working. And they're, they're braver, uh, uh, they, they're bolder, and there's an element of it sort of, it looks fresh and exciting, which is going back to the, going back to the millennial thing. Um, going back to the millennial thing is very uh, appealing to certainly young people who are looking to sort of certainly go green. So Bulb and mm. Octopus tap into that as our USP of it's all 100% renewable, um, which is a very millennial kind of um, uh, uh, trait to sort of adopt. Um, but yeah, being in control of their own, de- your own development is a key thing for them. Uh, they've got their own developers. The speed in which they can do stuff um, is something that I think needs to be looked out for. And they're certainly well-funded. So I think the good startups that are coming in are doing a positive stuff because they're um, forcing people to have a debate with with, uh, with other with the industry. You know, they they embrace things like price caps. They uh, look to shake up uh, old modes of way in which data and stuff is passed between suppliers mm-hmm. uh, and are that positive disruptor which you know any industry needs and certainly the energy one which is you know, been in a been in a so 25, 25 year cycle of you know, privatizations happened and we're in this place and um, it, it's right for a kind of uh, wake up call in certain ways. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that one of the benefits that these guys have is that, you know, they can come in and they can sort of ruffle a few feathers maybe and, and kind of, you know, blaze a bit of a trail. Um, but ultimately, mm. I think that, you know, as with any kind of you know, startup versus kind of more of an established company, you're able to sort of then take the learnings from their journey and, and kind of, if you're, if you're clever, um, apply it, you know, to where you want to go. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you can sort of see in which they, the way in which, I mean, I'm a, a customer of one of the sort of small startups in my personal space because that appeals as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the experiences I go through with that are really good and they're sort of convenient. So, you know, all the things that are, we want to do it's, it's because all the demand that's caused in energy companies the reason why the buildings often stop with people is things go wrong you know it's 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 failure demand the reason why you're contacting an energy company in most cases um because the bill's wrong i've not come on supply um you've not taken a direct debit you've taken too much you've estimated incorrectly it are all failures and People don't, and that's where a lot of the dissatisfaction and mistrust comes from, is because they're doing something that's transactional badly. And especially when you look at things like mobile phones, where I get, I'm with, I'm with EE, and I get, um, I have no relationship with them as a company, other than the fact that they send me my bill every month, I pay for my data usage, uh, and I get some nice freebies every so often from them. So I get that, that is a relationship that works for me. And if I could replicate, if I could be replicating what we do for our customers, then that's an absolute win because the, the real proof point, as any business, especially one as, as, as important as us, um, is do those customers stay and will they tell other people about it? It's like, you know, Bulb and Octopus do the £50 rewards and stuff like that, which is a great you know, financial incentive to do it. But if customers are staying and renewing on our, on our, on our, uh, for, for our service, then that's the true test of success. I mean, one example that really brings it to life for us was, I say we're 15 months old, we, we sell one, two, three, four, five-year contracts. So we've gone through our first, 
roundup renewals for a lot of our customers. And one of our customers um, uh, signed up for a one-year product, and we looked at his interaction history over the year to sort of see a bit about this customer. And he signed up in, in June uh, 2017. He came onto our web chat just to confirm his bank details. He wanted to make sure that it was all right. We said, yeah, that's fine, all good. Um, and then come 12 months later, we sent out a renewal offer for him, giving him some options, and he renewed on a two-year contract, paying a slightly higher price. Mm-hmm. So, and all that interaction that customer did over the year was come on and just check his bank details. So minimal interaction, um, he was paying happy as Larry every month, getting accurate reads, paying and renewed. And, you know, as much as people strive out for that connection with the customer and stuff like that, that is the absolute best connection for that customer because they've set and forget, they've paid, they're confident what they're paying and they're happy and they've renewed for two more years. So, and that's, and that's kind of like our kind of gold star success criteria. If we can get thousands and tens of thousands of those customers, then happy days for us. Definitely. I mean, I think there, I mean, if you're looking at sort of what a, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a good, it's a retention um, for, you know, not really a lot of, of heavy lifting on the, on the engagement yeah. side as well, you know, and I mean, I think that um, something that, uh, just out of interest, how do you uh, sort of track your, your engagement and things like that? So we do regular um, MPS uh, surveys. Uh, we've got an MPS, contact MPS of around sort of plus 27, plus 40. It's got ranges between plus 27, plus 40, which yeah, plus in the energy business, which I don't know if you've ever seen any MPSs that come out of the energy business, is it's all minus. Yeah. Literally, it's all minus. The best score people can say is like minus 10 or 11. And we're in the pluses. Um, and that's not just to say we don't have teething problems. You know, we're only a 15, 15 month old business. So mm-hmm. things still need dining and improving. But ultimately, people are giving us eight, nines, and tens. Um, uh, regularly on a regular basis um, we've done some more in-depth sort of feedback from customers sort of like get some more qual- qualitative stuff but generally our kind of um, surveying stuff goes out sort of once every two three months so um, we do regular check-ins and we've got um, surveys at the end of every web chat um, so we ask people to sort of rate their web chat experience and provide feedback um, in that way and we obviously take the feedback from those things and uh, pushing back around to sort of resolving those issues or iron out the, those those crimps in the journey. Spot on. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me like you guys are really, really on it when it comes to you know customer satisfaction and, and customer experience, and you know certainly in the in in the sort of digging around that I've been doing when trying to identify you know sort of the main you know cases for you know quote unquote digital transformation and, and sort of what the big the mm-hmm. hot button issues of the you know of, of the season are, so to speak. It, you know these two things that people are very interested in is um you know is is customer engagement and, and making sure that people are having as enjoyable an experience as possible when interacting with them it seems to be one of the few ways in which uh in this, um utilities companies energy companies are able to differentiate themselves these days yeah and again it's sort of uh, and going back to that example of that customer that will work because all the effort was put into making making sure we can do process the accurate reads that give the accurate bills that take the accurate payments because they had no need to sort of come in and speak to us. And it's sort of all the effort goes into sort of a bit like a, like a swan kind of thing. We put a lot of effort in, in, the, in the, 
nuts and bolts and stuff, the relationships that we have with our metering partners are absolutely crucial as well because this industry is underpinned by a lot of data that isn't necessarily supplier-owned as well. Mm. So it's sort of the reliance we place on third parties at every part of our food chain to deliver that experience to customers, that's vital. And we made bold changes. We changed our metering partners after six months because it wasn't working. And again, going back to some of the things that I think certainly bigger organisations could um, learn from, I guess, is sort of be brave in your decisions. Because we sort of made some brave decisions right at the start. We um, ditched our original um, CRM partners who were building our product after three months because it wasn't working. We just went, no, it's not working. So, and within 12 weeks, we'd set up a new, we approached a new CRM company um, and went live in 12 weeks. Wow. And I, I've been in big corporate businesses, you know, uh, previous lives and stuff like that. And doing that kind of thing, A, where you ditch a relationship without doing the dancing around the handbags bit sometimes where mm-hmm. you have the relationship meetings. You know, we can get better, we'll work. You lose two or three months of you know that kind of stuff because you do the right corporate thing. We made a bold decision and went, no, it's not working, and sort of ditched that and then went and found a new CRM partner who best fitted us and what we wanted to do. And we built something and went live. And you know, it wasn't by no means complete, but we could start on a price from the market and then we built the rest of it afterwards. The analogy of Wallace and Gromit laying down a train track in front of you is absolutely applied to our <laughs> sort of first nine to twelve months. You know, when we went live, we couldn't bill a customer, but we knew that we'd have to bill the customer. So it kind of, kind of focused the minds. So you sort of, uh, but then you develop it in such a way that is right for what you need to do and the right for the for the scale you do. So many projects that get delivered at a corporate level are done you know, waterfall way, and. We're not. We, we did everything in a sort of iterative, agile way, um, and without that, we would still be sat in a room, process mapping um, the, the change of tenancy process for energy customers now, rather than sitting on hundreds of sales a week and thousands on supply, and dealing with different problems, but still with a, a live working business. And that's where our approach as individuals. Has, has got us there rather than adopting a traditional inverted commas approach that a wider business would do. So definitely something to be said for just sort of, you know, in, in the in the case of the CRM partner or the meter suppliers, you know, mm. meeting, meeting things head on. And I think a lot of people listening to this will think that it was probably easier for you guys as sort of a, a smaller operation to sort of make those potentially difficult decisions. But I think that you could equally say to them that you know the the spirit of of just doing it is is one that you know any business is capable of acting on. And I think I think the reason we sort of like because uh, whilst we sort of like sometimes appear to be the gold no sort of people are very quick to put down new and shiny things sometimes it's a very British way right mm. <laughs> sort of like to, to, to despise elements of success and look look for ways of picking at it and. You know, we have to just we have to justify our being here very much so than as everyone else. And it's sort of we weren't a um, we're a core part of what British Gas Business is trying to deliver to customers. It wasn't a, a vanity project. So we have to sort of you know in those decisions around ditching metering partners, we said, well, that's because it's having a detrimental impact to our customer because we can't get an accurate bill out to that customer. And the reason we could do that is we're all sat in one room. I could sort of see. Uh, the billing guy, the guy who's processing the billing, goes, I can't bill this customer because I've not got an accurate read from the meter. 
then they turn around and talk to the guy who speaks to the metering team. He goes, have we got that data flow with that meter thing on it? I went, no. Well, how many of those are we missing? So the picture builds up quite quickly because we had the, essentially an energy supply business sat in one room. And that luxury doesn't exist in other entities where the, the, the metering team might, might be in Manchester, there's other contact centres in Leeds or wherever, wherever. Um, that distilled view of a small business helped us make the right decisions. And we would challenge back out to the wider business and go, if you had your business functions all sat in one place and you could see the end-to-end impacts of decisions that you make, what would, you, what would that look like for you? And I think that's, that's how we can justify making those right decisions. A lot of it is good, but there's an element, there's a massive element of science behind it and about finding the right people to work with us because we weren't getting the right thing and it would break our model for our customers. So I think those principles can easily be applied when you expand out into sort of bigger bigger teams and bigger, bigger departments is that when you just build down, drill down to what is having the impact to the customer, because we were getting people come onto our web chat, which causes demand. And it's just sort of, it's so much common sense, it's untrue, but it's really hard to cut through to that. And I think that's where a lot of um, bigger entities get, get, get knotted up quite easily. I think the other thing that you guys have clearly done is that you've sort of understood exactly what your purpose for being is, which is, you know, we want to give our customers accurate billing information that, you know, causes them as you know, hassle-free a life and, and, and leads to them having, you know, only pleasant interactions with us. And then you've kind of mm. built your structure and your hardware and your relationships sort of around that purpose. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, for example, Ben, we, you, you, you're almost like you can see through to the things on the wall in, this, in our office because we've got, we spent a bit of time, uh, we've got obviously a wider sense of corporate values, which are great and they fit in really well what we're doing. We, we came out with our own mission statement what British Gas Light is and that is every day we, we ask ourselves and each other how we can take the hassle out of energy for our customers and that's kind of our kind of north star to sort of guide us is what makes things simple what what, you know, what what is the simplest thing to do and if it doesn't work then fine but at least we try it so we're also very we're also very brave about we're also very brave about decisions that we do and if we fail we fail and we celebrate our failure mm-hmm. we don't shy away from it and again we're probably in the luxury where we can can do that but we've got the absolute support to sort of make the best decisions based on what we've got and if they haven't worked then at least we know that hasn't worked and we'll try something else but it's all about simplicity all about removing complexity and avoiding becoming part of the reason why we were set up in the first place on the subject of smart meters because I've seen a lot being made of them, uh, you know, uh, you'd sort of do a cursory glance on, on LinkedIn amongst other things and you'll see, you know, kind of a, a varying opinion on them from them being, you know, the, the, the data is wrong or they're just completely unnecessary or, you know, um, some people, some people are big fans of them. I mean, you, you said that you've got one in your house. I certainly have, uh, have one in my house. Um, but I think that whenever I think of my smart meter, I think of it as just being there to report essentially it kind of it tells me how much money i've spent that day or it flashes red when i've got you know the kettle and the oven on or whatever it might be and i think oh that's going red but i don't know why and i don't know you know really how to sort of make changes and things so i was gonna ask how sort of important do you think smart meters are and then that kind of 
leads on to a wider question about what businesses can be doing to sort of proactively provide education to their customers about their energy use? Yeah, so absolutely. So um, smart and automated meter readings in the first meters for us are absolutely sort of key trinity of where we started with variable data, debit, online self-serving smart because they can complete that loop quite nicely. Um, I think smart is absolutely, and it's sort of, you know, given that it's my key part of my job, I, I shouldn't bad mouth smart meters. And I, and I don't, I see them as an enabler mm -hmm. getting uh, data through because again, it's sort of how much time and effort do people want to engage with their energy use when it's, it could be quite minuscule savings sometimes. And uh, you know, again, sort of speaking from a personal perspective rather than necessarily a, um, my BG hat on is sort of savings is not a good message to often give to people, um, especially businesses. Because when we say things that get free smart meters, businesses often know that things aren't free mm -hmm. and they know that prices are put somewhere else. Uh, um, but smart is just going to be the absolute enabler to revolutionize the industry. I said before around the challenges is data. So data comes, if you can get an accurate view from a bill, from a meter, you get an accurate bill, you get accurate payment. And no one quibbles about it and all through the ch chain it sort of reconciles its way up to sort of more efficiency as so you get less people maybe servicing customers you get less people fixing stuff and making changes and stuff it, it cleans up a lot of the um, bad data that causes a lot of the problems in the space um, and it will enable things like you know, next day switching you know stuff that people are seeing in their banking apps and their mobile phone apps where they can sort of make simple changes and quick changes stuff at a, at a, at a touch of a button certainly in the consumer space for small businesses like people we deal with mm -hmm. it's a very different kind of conversation because you know they don't necessarily gonna you can't necessarily turn your um coffee machine off at nine o'clock in the morning yeah. when you when you go because it's you need to turn a coffee machine on otherwise you haven't got a business kind of thing it is just making sure that you have accurate data that takes the hassle away from you having to read it. And the reassurance that what was correct. And it becomes quite transactional. But that shouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, it's just, again, as I said, our businesses are people who've spent five minutes every year, two years thinking about energy. It's not a lot. So they're not investing a lot in it. Mm -hmm. So don't try and force that interaction, so to speak, by getting accuracy is all they're looking for. And I think. We shouldn't be afraid of just addressing that. Um, but in time, we need to make smart better, certainly for energy companies, by you know, looking at their half high profile data, how best are, how are they actually using their energy, where they're using their energy. Certainly people like Octopus and BG have done that with their sort of free Saturdays they did, and um, by profiling consumption data, and Octopus have got their flexi, um, where you get their text alerts and stuff like that to sort of about what the price of energy is going to be the next day. Mm -hmm. And all those things are going to sort of enable stuff. And certainly it's the enablement to sort of prevent wastage and improve accuracy is where smart and smart meters can sort of help, certainly for our customers, but I think for the market population as a whole. Yeah, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be inclined to agree. I mean, I, I think that if they're used, I agree that it shouldn't necessarily be something that is sort of force that people and, and I think um, you know one of the things that I'm interested in, about what you've said is that you know is, is sort of letting the letting your customer define 
what it is they want from you just by you know if, if it's something very simple um, that they want just let them have something very simple and not necessarily you know striving to be different by having you know lots of um, bells and whistles and a particularly extensive offering it could simply be that you know we're here to provide you this one this this one service or provide you the same service as everybody else but more accurately and, and with less yeah. hassle um you know I, I think there's a lot to be said from that i mean i think that you know, whereas I would I would traditionally think that, you know, in, in an industry as sort of homogenous as this one is, you would be looking for any way to, um, you know, differentiate yourself and stand out from the crowd. And it's, you know, I, I think perhaps, you know, working in, work, you know, having a technology background as I do, the temptation is to think that, you know, one of the best ways to differentiate yourself is with, you know, a cool new feature or an app or whatever right. or whatever. Whereas, you know, it is a very valid point that it simply could just be that, better efficiency or more accuracy um, is, mm. is as good a way of, of doing that. Yeah, because like I say, sort of, you know, how many times do you call your bank? How many times do you call your mobile phone provider? Mm -hmm. It's sort of, it's sort of you don't, you're not ringing them up every so often and say, you're doing a great job, I just wanted to let you know about all that. <laughs> and it's the same thing with banking, it, it just works. It's sort of, um, going back to your millennial point earlier, sort of there's an expectation that things just work. Yeah. And I think that that's where things like energies and with the disruptors that are coming into the market and the technology that needs to be in the, in the, in the market, in the industry, is, is that people expect things to work. Why can't I just switch supplier tomorrow? Because no one's coming to plug new power into my house. It's just it's still on. I'm still switching the lights on. I'm still putting the kettle on. Mm -hmm. People just, uh, the demand from customers is that much higher. And I think maybe perceived laziness by by the industry sort of um is where the disruption needs to come and certainly for smart it's not easy because you know the conversation you can have with sky around i want sky well you need a sky dish well that's fine i need the sky dish in order to get hold of the um the stuff that's, that you're providing and people were quite happy for men to stick bolts and have been for 30 years to stick bolts on their house either house and put up a uh, a, a, a circular piece of aluminium on it, mm -hmm. and um, the challenge with smart is that you've got to go into people's houses as well and businesses, and you've got to put a meter on a wall that hasn't been touched for thirty years. And a lot of stuff with smart is sort of, and some of the challenges that when I I've, I've been to the shiny glass offices in London where they talked about smart rollouts and like that and. Um, have they ever been to an industrial estate in wherever and tried to fit a smart meter in a car garage? You know, that kind of, there's a real world scenario the way that you've got to put smart meters in every property. You've got to gonna accept a lot of the challenges that that brings. Mm -hmm. And if you're not gonna mandate it, you're gonna accept a lot of people who don't want it. We've had customers on our products where it's been quite clearly expressed that they need to have smart meters and refuse it. Because A, they don't believe it, because it causes health issues and stuff like that so we've had those kind of playback from customers and stuff like that and we've had challenges with communicating meters as well so the technology that will help stuff is still you know it's not by no means perfect and it's a very challenging thing to roll out um, because of you know you've got to go and put a meter in an area where there's no mobile signal or you've got to go and put a meter that's one of our customers had a foot of meat, a foot, foot of water at the bottom of their cellar where the meter was permanently. Mm. And that's where their meter was. And our meter engineer went, you're all right, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I want to do that. 
and it's like yeah I can see why you yeah know, you get to those and they're the real life things and that's again the advantage of being in a small business is you get the direct feedback on on that particular instance someone didn't want the smart meter because it thought it would um damage their brains um their business was a gun shop wow. so we sort of yeah yeah you sort of like go okay you don't want to sell no, they sell hunting knives and guns and yeah exactly so so you're dealing with with, with that as well um and it's it, and you're dealing with you have to work with third parties to do it and you have to sort of arrange installations and businesses a lot of challenging businesses and smart meters want to turn my business off for 45 minutes to put smart meter in and you know that's a real life problem you know if your business is making coffee doing hair uh, a computer company that has servers running all the time you've got to factor that into your installation and that's really that's that's challenging and knotty as well because how do you get a you know, book an install for somebody who wants to be done at seven o'clock on a sunday morning because that is the least disruptive time for the customer mm-hmm. it's 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 those things that when you kind of go from a mandate level of 40 million people need a smart money to turn to you know everyone else does it these are the things that are the, the real kind of at the cold face of, of, of installing and smart stuff and you know different generations of smart you know smarts one meters don't aren't interoperable between certain suppliers and you try and explain, articulate that to a customer or set of customers and it's absolutely absolutely very challenging uh, and i yeah smets 2 dcc will absolutely sort of um address all that and and, and enable a lot of the things that are going to be uh, the benefits of it it's just my challenge like i've said to you before on linkedin and conversations i have on there is that you know it needs to be pushed more as a it's a network thing this network should be digitalized in the same right in the same way that people say patient records on the nhs should be digitalized yeah absolutely it just should be there that's where the challenge i have from savings messages as a as a help for customers sort of um often kind of um troubles me because you know say you use 20 quid a year is that an incentive for someone to sort of give up an hour two hours of their time to have a smart meter installed you know it's sort of but is is making sure that you're always going to get accurate bills and you need never to be ripping up a contact sense and being put on hold or dealing with money being taken out of your account incorrectly or building up a credit when you think it's your money then all that will be alleviated by getting accuracy and streamlined in the in, in the whole in the whole network my rant is over. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't seem like a rant. I thought those were also okay. they were no, they were they were they were spot on points. I mean, again, you know, I think for for people listening, you you if you've moved into a property with a meter, or you you know maybe you haven't ran your own business, or you work for a bigger company, or you come um, and you think about energy, you think about you know maybe the you know the the bigger sides of the business, you know, like you know as you say, like you know full fat British gas. Um, you know, and, and you realize that you're not always talking about, you know, these big numbers and this huge energy expenditure, you know, you are just talking about, you know, someone who, you know, uh, you you know, who runs a coffee shop or who works in a, in a hairdresser's and, you know, if you have to take that downtime, then, you know, it, it might, it might not, it might not be worth it to you. And then obviously part of the challenge from, you know, from, from your perspective, uh, from your perspective, Tim comes around that sort of level of, of education and, and sort of trying to let them know of the benefits you know not just of you know more accurate readings but of you know not building up credit when you think it's your money not having to get um you know cold call from you know energy consultants not having to you know be held on hold all the time to ask why there's been an erroneous uh, direct debit 
Um, yeah. My, I'm obsessed with the idea that sort of automation and you know, as skeptical as people are about this kind of like more of a like an artificial artificial intelligence component um, is is going to be is going to be brought in. You know, in in the coming years, I I think that's going to happen. You know, the other thing that I think I think that you know dovetails really nicely with the concept of of energy as a service and and you know there being you know maybe something there whereby you know through it through a smart meter or through a you know um, a, a voice UI like Alexa or something like that you know you're able yep. to ask it about your consumption it's able to say well you know it's it's technically summer last summer you know you were on this tariff and you you know your, your consumption went down by X and you can say you know can you switch me it can say yeah I'll switch you switch you now and and then you yeah, you know almost magically on a on a different tariff and you know that when I was reading about that I that for me is, is probably my I, I like that I kind of get like a bit of a, a fuzzy feeling about kind of people being a bit more empowered within the same you know within the same provider but perhaps to kind of for there to be different tariffs and to be on but um oh sorry sorry i lost you there ben sorry no that's all right um where did you get up to uh just for the just after the fuzzy feeling yeah just the idea that people will have there'll be you know kind of different options within the same provider and you know it won't necessarily be this you know, sort of bun fight and this scramble to get, you know, the, the best deal of the day and stuff, but you'll just sort of have that peace of mind that, you know, within, you know, British Gas or Power or whoever it is that there would just be a different tariff you could switch to. Yeah, absolutely. And I sort of, again, sort of, it's going to be about, like with, you know, talk about technology is sort of, some people go nuts for it and we'll do, you know, everything's automated and have the latest version of this and we'll be on it and stuff like that. And it goes back to that segmentation. And then there's just kind of different people for different things. So sort of there'll be people who want to change their supplier every half an hour where they know they can get the best price because blockchains are now in place and mm -hmm. peer to peer trading exists and in this kind of not too distant future kind of world that we talk about. Because yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the thing as well. If you get data, if you get a shared view of data, that's going to be the big thing as well. If you sort of eliminate a lot of the steps in the, in, if you get a lot of steps in the supply, if you eliminate a lot of steps in the supply chain, you get a direct price straight through from where the power's been generated, and you cut out a lot of the middlemen. Mm. Um, but yeah, like you said, yeah, you could be give me the best price for British Gas, give me the best price for Bull. Uh, put me on that price Alexa or Siri or whatever. Absolutely. And then it's sort of, it's making sure there's a social consciousness in me a little bit kicks in and goes, okay, that's great for your um, shortage hipsters and people like that who are on the cusp of all that kind of stuff. But what do you do about everyone else? You don't leave people behind. You know, sort of, we assume the internet's pervasive for everybody. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of over 65s, it's still the minority use and stuff like that. Mm. And it's, how do you, make something cover 70 million people in the UK across 40 million homes and stuff like that and make got to provide choice in the way people want to serve and stuff like that I think that's where some of the missteps with smarts come from as people are upset that what is it one of the quotes I read um, spent a long time trying to convince people that Vladimir Putin's not going to hack into their toaster and stuff like that <laughs> and I think it, it's and that came from I think it came from the government that, that's a government quote, I think. But um, it, it's going to be stuff like that. It's sort of who wants to, different, you ramp the technology up depending on how you want to use it. And, but it's making sure that 
the failures go, it's easy for customers to do it at whatever frequency, however often they want to do. And it's not complicated for customers because I think energy has been made complex by both energy companies, by the government, by regulations and stuff like that. Because there's so much you have to do to sort of make it clear and stuff like that. Switching, you know, has switching increased more in the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. There's still a lot of people on the standard variable size. Again, absolutely. Um, and, you know, sort of, is it easy for people to switch? I don't know. I don't know. It's sort of, it's easy if you want to engage in it, but are we, our um, energy companies set, allowing the right engagement tools to set up for different audiences? And I think that's where the next thing needs to go with stuff like AI and uh, blockchain is making sure that it taps into different audiences in, 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 a, in a different way. Absolutely right, Anna. I mean, in that in that spirit, then Tim, and, and to sort of to, to leave it on to leave it on that uh, to leave it with this, I suppose. Do you have sort of a, a prediction for for what you think is going to happen from a sort of more of a, an innovative standpoint? Oh, well, uh, I think yeah. So I think I think uh, blockchain peer to peer trading is going to be absolutely sort of sort of where it kind of goes. I think there's the way in which you can look at half hourly consumption and I think certainly from in the B2B INCs, certainly the business to business space, the small business space that we're in, things like sort of half hourly pricing and stuff like that is going to be absolutely uh, crucial and important because I think buyers on that. Um, and I think uh, next day switching, I think that's going to be a big thing as well because it, just, it takes two weeks to change an electricity supply in this day and age. Um, and I think um, once SMEX2 stabilised and stuff like that, there should be a demand to allow switching to take place next day, same day. And also there should be more disruptive technology-based companies coming into the space. I think that that's what it needs more of. It needs more people bringing their expertise on how to, how to break into a market that needs that refresh after 25, 30 years post privatization. Well, that's, that's definitely good to hear. I mean, as you know, from, from my, from my side of the table and, and sort of the, the background that I have and, and the company that I work for, it's, 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 it's good to hear, you know, somebody from somebody, you know, more deeply ingrained in the industry talking about, you know, that it's not necessarily a bad thing to want to, you know, innovate and, and look externally for, um, you know, for people that might be able to help implement systems yeah. platforms technologies that, that that bring about a bit of change and you know ultimately make things easier for, for your customers absolutely because we you know we've got a crm system we've got a web chat system we've got metering partners we're going to have adapters into the dcc there's all sorts of different modules of stuff that are going to form part of what we are what our business looks like and um again shout out to anybody listening is sort of you know we're open for chats and conversations and want to know what's out there that we can tap into and explore because we've not got all the answers. We're, we're still quite new. We're still, we're, we're fumbling around because we're all energy. We're not energy dinosaurs, but we're trying to sort of force ourselves into that space and, but we need help and guidance as well. But we see the future for us in BG Light being very you know, modular and stuff like that. And how do we adapt uh, different systems to sort of bolt on to give a good, that, again, that hassle-free experience over to customers. And if anybody wants to come down and see our offices and uh, uh, meet up or share some ideas, again, in that kind of open, transparent kind of way, then, then again, just 
just like shout up and you know we've got free fruit down here we've got uh, our own little space and we've got a, a culture of people who just want to learn and be different so Please help us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll definitely be, I'll be headed down to Leicester as soon as I get back from, uh, as soon as I get Mallorca. back from Mallorca, I'll book myself a train. Yeah, from the sunny, <laughs> sunny Spain to sunny, sunny Leicester. You're good, Tim. <laughs> thank you very much for, uh, thanks for coming on with me today, man. I really appreciate it. This was a, this was a very informative and very educational, um, a very educational podcast. For anybody who, who wants to, to get at you or, or learn more about BG Light, how do they do that? Uh, just yeah, find me on LinkedIn. There's very few Tim Troys out, out there, so uh, um, yeah, I'm t- yeah, Tim Troy on LinkedIn, and uh, I'm Tim Troy one on Twitter as well. If you want to sort of uh, there, definitely give him a follow, ladies and gentlemen. Give him a follow. <laughs> Cheers, Ben. No worries. I really appreciate it, Tim. Thank you very much. Cheers. Take care. You too. Speak soon. very fun conversation with a very switched on guy all right that's it for now guys if you want more from me get me on twitter at benjamin l1nd that's at benjamin l1nd find me on linkedin just search benjamin lind you'll find some articles you'll find a link to the other podcast we did with martin jackson please like share and comment on this episode it massively massively helps me and from honestly sincerely it truly is appreciated that's it from me folks Until next time, thank you for listening.